Well, friends, you ready to read through Colossians together? Luckily for me, Josh preached all of chapter one there during his announcement, so we can jump right to chapter two. (laughs) Well done. He's paying attention. I'm so excited to begin chapter three with you. We have a few more sermons in this letter. If you brought your Bible with you, This is the moment where you run ahead to chapter 3 and get ready. And what you might not know is that, sorry, there's no PowerPoint today. You're going to have to follow along in your Bible if you have it on your phone or if you brought one. The kids are also, if they haven't already, going to go get their binders. Oh yeah, I see a little boy who got his binder. And they're going to work on their binder pages. And if you finish your pages, you get a prize at the end. But you've got to go to the fellowship room and go find Julia, then you get a prize. Today, my friends... Today is not just David and my commissioning. Today we begin chapter 3 of Colossians. Today is your commissioning. This is the section of Colossians that it's been building towards. The moment when your resurrected life, your transformed life, begins to be put on display and directed towards God. This is the application to the last two chapters that we've been learning about And that we have been prepared for. At the beginning, when we started to read through Colossians, you would have seen a church that was full of faith and bearing fruit. A church that was tempted and being pulled away from proper discipleship. And now a church being encouraged to walk in their discipleship as Paul lays out for them. Similar to the commissioning of a pastor, this isn't my first day of pastoring, but a new role, a new duty, a task is being assigned. And now a call is being put on my life towards faithfulness to serve and operate in this task. And that is so similar to this church and so similar to our church family. You see, we are living in resurrected life, and yet we are being made new. We are living a transformed life and yet daily putting the flesh to death. Friends, when we first started Colossians, who knew we'd be getting to this place? The place where our minds are set on things above. But we made it. We made it to chapter 3. When I think back to the very first sermon and Josh knocked it out of the park, I remember what Paul hinted at. That they needed to have this level of understanding and knowledge of their faith that would lead to a life of walking out the gospel. When I go back to verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, we've been asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So as we went through the first sermon, the question that I was left with is, what is this knowledge that they need to know, and what is it going to look like for them to walk in a manner worthy of God? See, this isn't a church who has just come to faith or hasn't come to faith yet. This is a fruit-bearing church, and yet... And yet there's something missing in their knowledge that would lead to a life of obedience. What is it? 
In the second sermon in the series, verses 15 to 20, that knowledge is made clear. What is it that they need to know? Who Jesus is. Why? Because their worship is being shifted away from him. So Paul, in those verses, lays out that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of creation, the one who holds all things together, the one who rules all things, the one who's before all things, the head of the body, you'll see in those verses. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the knowledge that we need to hold on to to walk in this manner worthy of Jesus is that the reconciliation, the reuniting of us and God that we've been longing for since the days of Adam and Eve when we first experienced separation from our Father. That healing, that transformation is going to come through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, not through anything else. And in the third sermon of this series, just before Thanksgiving, we talked about that reuniting. That once you were in a state, you were alienated, you were hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. That's verse 21 of chapter 1. But now, my friends, transformation has taken place in your life. And you are going to be presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's not minorly different. That's not a small change. That's not like repainting the living room in your house. We're talking bulldozing the sucker and building a brand new structure. Alienated, hostile, evil deeds. Now, holy, blameless, above reproach. So why then are the human hearts, our hearts, so caught up in this desire for religious regulation and legalism that we would cling on to any way of creating transformation inside of ourselves. We do this all the time, but that resurrection and that transformation doesn't come from our hard work. Do you know where it comes from? Take a wild guess where it comes from. Oh, it comes from the Holy Spirit. You know that God dwells inside of you? That was the sermon on Thanksgiving. Do you remember Thanksgiving? It feels like years ago. It was just a few weeks ago. What did we learn about Thanksgiving? Verses 26, 27 of chapter 1. The mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to the saints. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This is it. This is the great mystery and knowledge that we've all been waiting for. And what is it? What does the verse say it is? It is? It's Christ in you. The fact that the divine has entered you and transformation is taking place from the inside. That, friends, is your hope of glory. That, friends, not how hard you're going to work, not how disciplined you'll be, for thousands of years, the Jewish people tried. 613 laws in the beginning of the Bible, they tried to live out. Is it possible to transform a broken human heart? And they couldn't do it. It gave the appearance of wisdom, but they couldn't do it. 
Do you know what it took to transform the human heart? Jesus. Jesus dying and rising again and then placing his spirit inside of us. The fact that Christ is in you is your hope of future glory. Amen. Here we go. It doesn't stop there. Well, obviously, we're only in chapter one, but it doesn't stop there. Maturity. This is something that I love that Josh is talking about, that Ryan is talking about. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature. That's verse 28. Everyone mature. For this I toil with all the strength that he powerfully works within me. Mature saints, mature disciples. Do you understand that when you read the Old Testament and then into the New, disciples abandon their lives to go follow their rabbi? The disciples, they didn't meet once in a while for half an hour listening to this guy, did they? Uh uh. It was an abandoning of their former life to pursue their teacher. And we've been called into that. But that doesn't always happen. We pursue all sorts of different things. And Paul is laboring that we would be mature in this. That we would know how to walk and how to follow the one who we're supposed to follow. But we struggle with this. And remember, Duane came up and preached the beginning of chapter 2. He was talking about that. We need to live. We need to walk in Jesus Because we're always going to be tempted to walk in other things. But this old fleshly life that we are so caught in, that we're so enslaved to, we need to circumcise this thing. It's a a spiritual circumcision that takes place. Where the flesh is cut away from us and separated from us. There's a baptism that's taking place. Oh, I love this. If you have your Bible with you, you might even be at those verses. This is chapter 2. That's verse 11 and then verse 12. You, my friends, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's resurrection language. Your baptism is a sign of your inward resurrection. Chapter one hinted at this. Chapter 2 is making this clear. You were dead. But now, friends, raised to new life. Is that something you or I are capable of? Can you or I cause resurrection in our hearts? Do we hold the power of life and death? Yes or no? No, we don't. So why, in Scott's sermon... Do we need to be warned about trying to resurrect ourselves when we can't do it? Remember he talked about disqualification. You see, when humans try to transform their own heart, you're being disqualified from the one who does resurrect your own heart, and that's Jesus. Verse 16 of chapter 2. Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, regard to a festival, a new moon, a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. 
And as you go down further to verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why? Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These have the appearance, pay attention to this, these have the appearance of wisdom, don't they? The appearance of it in promoting self-made religion. That's verse 23. Aestheticism, which is false humility and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All this outward work that is so tempting for the human heart to chase after all this outward change that the legalistic part of us that just loves a good to-do list. I can cause transformation. I can get rid of the sin. Look at the Greeks, how they go to worship at their temples, how they understand philosophy. Look at the Jews, how they worship through the Torah laws. Look at the discipline and the sacrifice in these two different groups' lives. And then there are Christians who are just relying on Jesus to do all the work for them. Ludicrous. So the people start getting sucked into this life of outward religious regulation. And from the outside, people applaud them. It looks wise. But do you know what the problem is? Do you know what all that outward religious regulation doesn't do? Doesn't stop the indulgence of a sinful and evil and broken heart. It won't resurrect you, my friends. Not a chance on earth. Only Jesus. And that leads us to today's passage, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says to the church, and I read those words to you. If then you have been raised with Christ. See, resurrection language. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because you've died to them. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not yours anymore. This fleshly life that you've been resurrected from, quit running back to it. Quit returning to it. Stop. Put it to death. Your mind, you keep focusing your eyes on these earthly things when you're supposed to have this vertical gaze. A resurrected person, a transformed person, and yet we're just drawn back down. But the final resurrection hasn't taken place yet. Take a look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You're stuck in the in-between, aren't you? You've been resurrected a brand new life, and yet, when Jesus returns, you will be resurrected with him in glory. You'll experience the full transformation that you and I are waiting for, but it's not here yet. You understand you were made new, and yet, being renewed. You are transformed, and yet, being transformed. You are made whole, and yet, being made whole. You are stuck in the in-between, Someone who's not a slave to sin anymore, but someone who hasn't been completely set free from it. 
and the fleshliness of it still desires to return to it. So what does, look, what does life look like for disciples of Jesus? If you're being commissioned this morning, just like me, to a life of active discipleship, what is it you're being called to? Friends, it's time to put it to death. It's time to put it to death. This fleshly desire of our hearts that we have been spiritually circumcised from, this spiritual battle going outside of us that we dunked in the baptism tank to wash ourselves clean of, we need to put this to death. What do we need to put to death? Idolatry. The fact that we continue to swap the one thing that we should be worshiping with us. We replace God with ourselves. You don't believe me? Read verse 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly inside of you. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, which is lust, evil desire, and covetousness. Which is idolatry. All these, hmm, how do you sum this up the best way? Since the moment we walked away from God and placed ourselves above him, our authority above him, we chose to worship our heart ahead of him. And that is just somehow programmed in each one of our hearts. From the youngest of ages till the oldest of ages, we just desire to worship ourselves and sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, coveting things. Those are all examples of it. All examples of where you elevate yourself to a position where you shouldn't be that God deserves to be. And we all used to live this life. That's verse Six and seven. These are the things that God's wrath is coming on account of, and you, too, once walked in this way when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Verse eight. But he switches. He switches away from all of these sexual areas and coveting areas where we elevate our heart above God, and now he switches to the destructive Attitudes and sins that rip apart a church family. So not only do we have to stop worshiping ourselves ahead of God, we need to stop treating each other this way. This is verse 8. Wrath. Put it away. Put away anger. Put away malice. Put away slander. Put away obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Sucked right back to the Garden of Eden, just like that. This old self that we've battled with since the day that we stumbled, he's saying, take it off and don't put it back on. You've been washed clean. You're wearing a new self. Don't put that old self back on. Your new self is being renewed to look like the image of the one who made you. 
You're going to look more like that image all the time, being renewed, being renewed. Back to imagine the form of Adam and Eve before they fell into sin. An image of God. And who is the ultimate image of God that we see revealed on the earth? It is Jesus. It's Jesus. We are being renewed to look like Jesus. You want to know what discipleship looks like? It looks like that. Being renewed to look like Jesus. The family of God and the family of disciples is a family that isn't divided any longer. It's a family where we no longer worship ourselves ahead of him and no longer treat each other poorly but put each other ahead of ourselves. And verse 11 is the final verse for this morning. If you have it open, do you see all those different lists there in verse 11? Do you see the different things that no longer divide the church, the body of Jesus? Here, here in this kingdom, here in this body, there's no longer Greek and Jew. That divided people for centuries. Those who inherited were entitled to the promise of Abraham and those who were excluded from it. It's no longer an issue. What about those who properly lived out the Torah and those who did not? Well, they're circumcised and uncircumcised, but that doesn't exist here anymore. What about barbarian, Scythian? Those are people of low reputation. Those were uncivilized people. Those were people looked down upon in this culture and in this world. But that distinction doesn't exist anymore. And finally, slave and free. People who have little value and people that have all the value. It no longer exists. Say that word three times fast. In this family. Why? Because Jesus is in all and Jesus is all. So as you look around this room this morning, you look at the different people in your family, the different things that used to divide us and separate us, in Jesus, those things collapse. Because now that Jesus has filled all of us and we all walk in Jesus, Jesus is who we are. Jesus is what fills us. Those other things, they fall by the wayside. That's what a life of discipleship, of following this rabbi looks like. The abandonment of this fleshly life and the pursuit of godliness. Next week, Pastor David is going to preach on the next section of verses. The pursuit of what being a godly disciple looks like. And then finally, the passage after that. What does godliness look like in our world? And how do every relationship and situation that we live in godliness in, point us back to our Father in heaven. We're going to come forward in just a minute and receive communion. The worship team is going to come up to get ready. And I want you, I want you to take a minute before we come forward and reflect on your own commissioning as I reflect on mine.
I need you to understand the commitment that you're making to follow Jesus in this church family. This is not a place that you can sneak into and sneak out of and remain anonymous. This isn't a place where you can attend a service, watch and consume an hour and a half of events and then just go home from. If you are going to be a part of this family, you will participate in this family. You will lay down your life to follow the teacher. I will, and that's my promise to you, and I expect you to make that promise back to me. Otherwise, you're in the wrong family because that's not how we operate here. But to decide that, my friends, requires us to examine our hearts. And just like I thought long and hard about committing to being your shepherd, think long and hard about your commitment to pursue King Jesus. Think long and hard about your commitment to this family to pursue King Jesus. Look at your heart, look at your life, and ask yourself the question, where has the flesh crept back into me? What do I need to put to death that seems to grip on to me and pull me away from worshiping him? So before you come up to receive the elements this morning, take a minute and pray and ask God, what is it in my heart that I need to lay down and allow to die? And then once you've repented and confessed those things, come forward in celebration and offer Jesus your heart. Just like myself and David, offering God what we have, the little bit of strength and knowledge that we have and saying, God, we are not much, but we offer you our hearts. Go ahead and use it. Fill us by your spirit and use us. When you come forward, offer God your heart this morning. Reaffirm your commitment to him and to his family. And then, my friends, keep your eyes focused on things above as you leave this place. That's what being transformed in Jesus is all about. Up here at the front, we have gluten-free bread. For those of you with an allergy, this bread is regular bread. And for those of you who have trouble walking to the front, um, just watch for somebody walking around who often carries the communion elements right to your seat if you need help. After I pray, you're welcome to come forward, receive your bread, receive the cup. You can take it right here at the table if you'd like. You can carry it back to your seat. You can pray. You can take it at your own time if that's how you prefer as well. We're also going to be singing while we enjoy communion. And once you're finished, go ahead and sing along with the songs. Then at the end, I'll come up for a benediction. Let's pray together, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, today we submit ourselves anew to you. Today we recognize the commissioning of us as disciples. And we ask, Lord Jesus, you would reveal inside of us the areas where the flesh is still pulling for our worship, the areas that need to die. Lord Jesus, reveal those things to us and be with us. Give us strength as we confess them and turn from them and repent of them. And then, Father, we offer our hearts to you. We offer our hearts to you 
knowing that you are the one who shed your body on the cross and you are the one who offered your blood as a new promise to a new life, a resurrected life. And we ask that you would fill our broken hearts, Lord Jesus, transform us and make us new and continue to transform us until the day that we meet you in glory. I want to thank you for the bread and for the cup, Lord Jesus. I thank you for what these symbols mean that we get to commune with you as we participate in this. Lord Jesus, be with your church and bless this time of communion. We do this in remembrance of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Disciples of Jesus, go in peace from this place and show this world the hope for which we hold on to and live. Show them transformed life. Show them what resurrection looks like. Be a blessing to everyone you meet as you pursue Jesus. Lord Jesus, watch over this family. Guide them and direct them. Equip them by the power of your spirit to be effective ambassadors and ministers of the gospel. Thank you for the chance to worship you this morning. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.